And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. The how many times that we heard this phrase tonight? The penultimate rankings of the selection committee. All right, Bruce, they always tick you off about something. What is it this time? Uh, it's actually not the rankings themselves. It was the, stupidly, I tuned into that show. And it was a Reese Davis question, which I get why he asked it. But it was about, well, we know that Alabama, who's ranked sixth, and Ohio State, who is, not, who is ranked fifth, do not play any more games. So that's it. Kind of like thing. And Boo Corrigan... Seem to be confused by the question, right? I mean, you watched it. It was just weird. Like there was like a, I don't know what to do with this kind of thing. It was and almost like no, he had not, nobody had stopped to tell him like, you know, they're probably going to ask you, is there any way they can swap places? Because he clearly didn't want to go there, but then he realized he has to say something. Like it's the obvious question. Like those are, right. that's, you know, like we can talk about whether Georgia or Michigan should be one versus two. But at the end of the day, what really matters is who's five and six. And when we both when we know that neither is going to play any more games, except we know how this works being it wasn't a gotcha question, I don't think. But at the same point, it was like you sit there knowing, okay, well, if somehow Purdue beats Michigan and if somehow LSU beats Georgia, that would one would would boost Alabama's resume strength and the other one would ding Michigan's or Ohio State's resume strength because they would lose would have lost to a team that isn't number you know like I don't I don't know maybe Michigan would stay at number two even if they lost but if they lost by like 21 points they might not I don't know why that would flip it um I, the thing is, like when they asked when Reese asked him about why Ohio State's ahead of, Mich- of Alabama, it was a pretty simple answer. Uh, he's like, "Well, Ohio State's got two pretty good wins against Notre Dame and Penn State, and Alabama's best wins are against Texas and Mississippi State, who I believe are both ranked in the twenties. So that's not going to change. Like the quality of their wins. Is- are you saying that? Um, I mean, the quality of those two teams' wins aren't going to change. And in fact, you're suggesting, Ohio, I guess you're suggesting one of Ohio. I'm not sure what you're suggesting. How does Michigan I'm, Purdue affect things? The team that blew out Ohio State might not look so dominant if they lose to a Purdue team that nobody thinks is that good. So that's that what might, I, So you're saying that would be like, well, I can't believe Ohio State got blown out to that team. Yeah, I think it would diminish it a little bit at home. I again, I don't think it's a big factor. But I think that's the part where, unfortunately, that's the that's the what I referred to this sh- this this whole thing to you earlier tonight on text was it's an idiot fest, and this <laughs> is exactly why it's an idiot fest 
because we go down these like little rabbit holes of what could ding a resume or this is this is how it turns out to be in the beauty contest when the truth is like the way we're talking about these these two teams is that Ohio State has the same amount of losses as Alabama and they don't they they make they can they can switch the criteria up literally from one team to the next so the message about Ohio State versus Alabama was Ohio State has better wins in fact, he didn't really even on the teleconference afterward when they asked him about the blowout loss to Michigan, he almost played that down more so than I would have expected. Okay, fine. I guess this committee cares more about wins than losses. Well, then somebody else asked, why is Alabama ahead of Tennessee who they lost to? Well, because Tennessee had a really bad loss to South Carolina. Okay, so now we're back on losses. Um, I asked about Oregon and, and Utah. They just mysteriously flipped the order of those two this week and that has Rose Bowl implications and somebody else asked him about the same thing later. And he, he was very hung up on the fact that Washington lost to Arizona state. And it's like, but did you just learn about that? <laughs> like that happened a long time ago when that suddenly, like they literally just beat at Washington state to finish 10 and two and you're going back there. So um, yeah, I don't see, I think Alabama, I know it's never say never. I don't think Alabama is making the playoff. I think we're down to five teams for four spots. If TCU gets blown out, mm -hmm. if, if USC loses, Alabama have a shot then? I don't understand why. I, if, if, as of this moment, TCU is 12 and 0 and Alabama is 10 and 2. So if TCU gets blown out and Alabama doesn't play. They've already beaten. By a team they've already beaten. They've already beaten. And Alabama doesn't play. I think that would be preposterous for them to suddenly decide that out number six Alabama is better than current number three TCU. I mean, the whole, I mean, Dan Wetzel, I've, we, we, you know, I think, did we talk about it on Sunday? I can't remember. Um, like his, his, his case on, the, on his own podcast and his column is very reasonable. If you're saying that as of now, these four teams are the top four teams and the next three teams aren't playing this week, then why would any of these four teams have to be get penalized for playing an extra game and the others aren't? It's a, it's yeah. There's why is he bringing logic into this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's when you think of it that way. Okay. But I can also absolutely see them saying if USC loses to Utah, well, you know, it was a second loss and it was against the team. So they didn't avenge the loss to Utah. And by the way, their defense is just, you know, we don't, we have questions about their defense. Um, therefore we're going to uh, with Ohio state. Um, and it'd be like, well, but what if Ohio state had played another game? <laughs> Maybe they would have had the same problem. It's happened once. As far as I can tell, 2017, Alabama loses the iron bowl, misses the sec championship and is fifth, and two teams above them, two teams in the top four lose. Now, one of them is Auburn loses to Georgia. So that's what put Georgia in, okay? That makes sense. But Wisconsin was 12-0 and going into the Big Ten title game, lost to Ohio State, and Alabama jumped them. So there is precedent for this. Okay. Anything else? On this well, on it's this. been a pretty busy, uh, busy week in the coaching. Well, no, I didn't mean I, I meant related to the Tuesday night show. No, I definitely think we need to talk about the biggest hire in the SEC. Um, 
and that's Hugh Freeze going to Auburn. How do you feel about it? I feel confused because I thought this was like we talked. I don't know. Whenever, um, how long ago did Mar um, Harson get fired? Three weeks ago, maybe. Um, I mean, I can remember. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe I just remember at some point quite a while ago we were on here saying, "Well, there's three guys that could be Kiffin, Dion, Q Freeze," and and we debated which one was the best. We both said Kiffin, um, but I always thought Q Freeze was a possibility, and that it makes total sense. Now I'm hearing through the grapevine that it's actually kind of controversial there that a lot of Auburn fans are not pleased about this um, because obviously Hugh freeze has a lot of baggage, um, a ton of baggage. Yeah. A ton of baggage. Uh, you know, if you are feeling like you want your coach to be squeaky clean, he is not the guy to hire. Um, but I, I just, I guess I didn't expect that to be, that this would be the hill they'd want to die on because if Auburn doesn't hire Hugh freeze, Trust me, somebody else is going to hire him. Like he's not going to be at liberty for the rest of his career. Yeah, I think. Um, look, we all know why he got fired at Ole Miss, and not was, for the NCAA violations. No, and honestly, the NCAA violations, relative to you know where we are now with NIL and the recruiting and everything, like let's not clutch the pearls over that. It's the it's a couple things. It's the calling escort services. Um, never mind. It was from the company phone, whether it was, you know, whatever, but like it's that. And I think it also at the time was only made worse by the fact that he was kind of not kind of, you know, he would talk about his faith a lot online and it's a lot different. I think optically when it's somebody who is talking about certain things like that, as opposed to if I don't want to like just throw out some random name of a coach who maybe doesn't talk like who's not professing to be like very devout or anything like that. I think it, it takes on another threshold. But then when he got to Liberty, which has had more than its share of scandals itself, and the AD he worked for, Ian McCaw, had honestly a much worse scandal that he got lost his job at Baylor over, you know, which sexual violence and there was a lot of really bad stuff going on there. And, you know, this is where I think it comes back to Hugh Freeze's is um challenges to put it mildly is you know he, he you know the getting into people's dms and basically trying to defend his honor or in this case trying to defend ian mccaw's honor and trying to um you know basically either win people over or make his case whereas a lot of football coaches i just don't think they care that much about it they don't you know, I'm sure they don't want to have a bad reputation, but I don't think they're they're trying to catch every raindrop on the internet. And he got yeah. himself into more, more trouble. And I think that kind of thing coming out of it, you know, it, it look, I think on, just on the field, he's a really good football coach. And at the end of the day, I think what, what you're saying is, you know what, it's the SEC. All they really care about at the end of the day is whether you can win football games. And right. I don't disagree with you. Correct. I think that's and, all. And this no. guy won a lot of football games. I know it wasn't. The he beat Nick Saban game. a couple of times. And, you know, he made Ole Miss nationally relevant. And by the way, then he went to Liberty. He took a quarterback that could that people didn't think could play at Auburn. And he helped turn him into an NFL quarterback. And they won a lot of games. You know, Malik, Malik Willis. And here he is. I mean, I don't think the difference between him and Lane Kiffin coaching-wise 
is, you know, if you ask me who's the better coach, I'm not sure who I would say. They're both really good play callers. Freeze still does it, although he said he might not do that anymore. I think they're I think they're different in how they operate. Lane, quite honestly, is very adept at using social media, and it's and it's almost Freeze's downfall. <laughs> well, did you? That was the one of the weird uh, parts of his press conferences. Somebody asked him. I guess there was a report. That part of his yeah, Pat Forty had reported, or from Pat Forty at Sports Illustrated, I guess had reported. And the only reason why I know it was Forty is because I saw Brandon Marcello, as another national writer we know, um, who had you know referenced Pat's report because I was like, maybe I've seen this a few other places, um, because I definitely had heard it on the day before this happened about that part of him, part of the him getting the job would be him relinquishing his his uh, social media accounts, which, you know, the nature of that is like, wait, you can't even operate your, your Twitter account, but you can run a football program. In the well, that's exactly right. If that is true and he denies it, I would question why Auburn is hiring a football coach who they don't trust with his own Twitter account. Um, so I just looked at the official tweet that entered welcome home coach Hugh freeze. How, why is that home? Why is Auburn home? Welcome home. I thought he's a Mississippi SEC. Okay, maybe that's it. Um, the the first wave of responses. Damn you for this. Boo. There's still time to turn back if he hasn't signed. Are these Auburn fans you're talking about? You can't tell for sure, but disgraceful. I've never been more ashamed of my alma mater. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be fans from other schools, but... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm surprised it's not more. But hey, look, it's Auburn. Has there ever have they ever hired a coach that everybody was enamored with? Probably not. Um, no, probably not. I mean, if it has, it's got got to go a long ways back. I think from a football standpoint, just that the thing I, I really um, focus on is he was such a thorn in Nick Saban's side when he was coaching against him. You know, beat him two years in a row, and I think the third year it was you know a wild shootout that Alabama won. That's why he hired Lane Kiffin as his OC, which remember at the time seemed, you know, people couldn't believe Nick Saban was doing that. Um, he's like, I've seen what this team is doing with RPO, with what Hugh Freeze's offense is doing with RPOs, screen game. You need to figure out something like this for us. So, so, well, if, even so much so that he hired Dan Warner, who was Freeze's offensive coordinator as an analyst and Dan Warner came in there and worked three days a week and then watched games back in Oxford with his family. Like it was so, like, yeah. he was that enamored with what they did to the point where when Dan Warner interviewed, you know, Saban's pumping him for information. At one point he goes, wait, that's all really you guys do. And he goes, yeah, this is it. It was just like, it was way more simple. I think in terms of like premise than probably what, what Saban thought. So expected. I can't imagine he's thrilled that that guy is now coaching at his arch rival. Um, so if I'm an Auburn fan, I would be focused on that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Should we get to the mailbag? All right. As always, send your questions to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. The first question is from Brian Black in Atlanta. Are Georgia and Michigan exploiting inefficiencies in modern college football? Both teams have very similar offensive styles, big offensive lines, physical downhill rushing attacks, multiple tight ends, and solid quarterback play. Today's college football defenses are built to defend spread offenses and thus often lack the defensive personnel to handle more traditional offenses. Do you think the success of Georgia and Michigan will lead to more schools moving away from the spread offense? That is a good question. From that is a really good question. Um, just, just the first thing that stands out to me, you know, it's true. Those, bo- those teams both do a great job of utilizing their tight ends. I feel like Georgia has two tight ends on the field. I mean, I could, we could look up the exact snap count, but a lot. And it makes you remember that, I don't know, five years ago or so, maybe a little longer, the prevailing notion was that the tight end was going to be extinct soon because spread offenses were four or five wide. Um, those, they're not the only ones. Obviously, Notre Dame does it uh, with Michael Mayer and, and others, but you know the emphasis they put on it is unique. Um, I think what those two programs are doing a really good job of, though, like they're not running... I mean, Josh Gaddis himself came from, you know, came with all the RPOs and all that. And so they're not running like a 1970s style, run it down your throat pro style offense. They're blending both. Um, and I, that's probably going to be the future, right? Like we went all the way in one direction. I don't think we're going to go all the way back in the other direction, but you're going to see more blending of those two styles. It requires, um, it helps if you're Georgia and you can recruit whoever you want because there's just not a lot of guys that fit that prototype. Um, but he's right. Like defenses have been spending years re, re defensive coordinators have been spending years rethinking their approach, rethinking which kind of athletes they want in, in an effort to defend spread teams. I'm going to read this. A lot. I'm yeah. gonna, So for our story last week, where I talked to a bunch of coaches who played Uh, Michigan and or Ohio State. This is from a veteran offensive line coach who played one of those teams. Everybody in college football is built to defend the spread and the zone read now. Michigan is going to mash you in the face and still do that stuff with the quarterback run. What they do do is really unique now. Everybody wants to say we're tough and we have a nasty old line, but then you watch what they do and you see them running a bunch of RPOs. But these guys at Michigan have that mentality where they're running real run plays that they call and they know they're going to grind you for five or six yards. That's what I respect about those guys. They've cultivated that and their kids have bought in. They're going to get into 22 personnel and do inside run drill with 12 plays of of the power and inside zone. It's all about how they rip it and how they work it. You create a mental toughness to get through those things. I love watching them play. One of the big things is alignment. The wide receivers are on board. They block their butts off. 15 or 20 years ago, everybody was doing what Michigan is doing now. They've brought it back full circle. It's so refreshing to me as an old O-line go, guy, end quote. There you go. So, yeah. I mean, his question is basically, do you see more teams abandoning the spread and doing that? 
I do. I don't know if it's going to be a massive influx, but I do think you will. I know you will see more teams try to do that because I think they see how the parts come together and how they work. That's the beauty of college football. These things are constantly moving in different cycles. Uh, Next question is from Andrew. Hey guys. So Matt rules contract is for eight years. Has Nebraska learned nothing from the long-term contracts given to the likes of Jimbo Fisher and Mel Tucker? I understand the money from the new TV contract is huge, but given that program has so many question marks and plays in a conference that it cannot compete in, why not go for a coach on the rise? A Kalen DeBoer, Lance Leipold type. Who would have come much cheaper? And if it doesn't work, you're not committed to it for so long. Uh, So the key question there, maybe you know the answer, Bruce. Is it nine years guaranteed? Eight. Eight years, that's fine. It's fully guaranteed. So the deal with him is going to be, I don't know if it's fully guaranteed. I think it is, but I don't know that for sure. The thing with him is I, I don't think Matt Rule was coming if it was for a six-year deal. So my understanding is the first time they came to him, didn't sound like he was wanted the job. They circled back with him. It was longer-term deal. And I think that kind of security of what it would took made it work. Um, so... Look, you and I both talked about this the other day. You said it was a, a higher. I thought it was A-plus higher for Nebraska. I don't think they're getting him for that. And the question is, Kalen DeBoer is a really good coach. I don't know if that, you know, I know they were sniffing around and then Washington jumped on him. Um, you know, if you ask me, let's say Lance Leipold versus Matt Rule, as, as good as you and I both think, and I don't want to speak for you, but like I think Lance Leipold's done a terrific job. I think Matt rule is a bigger get for them, you know? And so I think sometimes you got to swing for the fences. They have the money. They were going to do it. Now the Jimbo Fisher thing and the Mel Tucker, I guess this is that kind of money though. You know, it's similar where you can't. Yeah. So I found the details. Uh, It is 90% guaranteed. That is, I believe Brian Kelly at LSU got that same thing. And here's what's interesting. It's $74 million, an average of 9.25 million per season, but it's, um, very low in the beginning and very, very high in the end. So, well, because the Panthers part of this, right? Yeah. So, 5.5 million, uh, this coming year. And then but it gets it to like 12.5. It gets up on. to 12.5 by the end. My point is because of that, that 90% guarantee is even more, uh, is, is worse than it would normally be because so much of the money is due at the end. So, yeah, they have, they've basically committed him to the, him committed to him for eight years. And I just think that it's, I forget if I said this on a radio interview or our podcast or somebody else's podcast, this is all monopoly money. Now it's all just a show of commitment. Like whether it's 74 million or 90 million or whatever, it's just, we want to show everybody, we want to flex and show that we can spend this kind of money. And this is how committed we are to restoring Nebraska to championship material. So you know, your, your worst case scenario is you end up in a Jimbo Fisher type situation, right? Where we just can't move on from this guy. But, you know, this is the same school that just like wasted $7.5 million that they could have, you know, saved in three weeks. They just, they just have more money than they know what to do with. And that's going to be, and this is before the next big 10 football TV deal kicks in and they're going to have even more money. Good point. Um, you want to ask me the next question of Craig in Detroit? Craig in Detroit. Oh, I like this one. Hey, guys. 
Now that Jimbo has fixed the Aggies offensive problems by firing Daryl Dickey, sarcasm. Who do you think he calls? I think he needs to go a bit more Texas air raid friendly. Here are my three calls. Jake Spavital, now the former Texas State head coach. Garrett Riley, gained momentum from the TCU bump. And Zach Hitley, the Texas Tech OC. Uh, all good choices. I don't know. Now, two of those guys have jobs. One of them is looking again. I'm, you know, the tricky thing here is, and I've heard a little of this, where, you know, are guys, is Jimbo a guy you definitely want to work for in this capacity? And that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, they have a ton of money, but you got to be really careful on you go there. And if it doesn't go well, you know, you're digging out of a hole, you know, it can be pretty miserable pretty fast. Um, it, you know, it, it is interesting because the name I had thought of, there's two guys I thought of, and they're both actually head coaches and they're really good offensive coaches. I don't know if either would do it. One of them now it's got complicated. The first guy I'll say is Sean Lewis, who is the head coach at Kent state, really good offensive coach. You know, I don't know if like, you know, you, he did a really good job. He, he got them to a bowl game to win a bowl game, but that's a tough job in there and he's not winning, you know, like they're struggling. Right. And so can he win enough to get a head coaching job out of there? I don't know. It's not looking so great. So I'd heard some rumblings that maybe some head coaches were going to talk to him about, would you want to come and be my offensive coordinator? Um, you know, so that was one name. The other one is, is, was at an FCS school and that's GJ Kinney. The only thing is GJ Kinney right now, from my understanding is like the favorite to get the Tulsa head coaching job at his alma mater. So, but he's tearing it up at Incarnate Word in San Antonio. And I could see them being attracted to him as a possible play caller. But, um, you know, this would be an interesting hire because you're going to go in there if you do take the job. I don't think you'll get to bring your old line coach because Steve Adazio is there, you know, and maybe maybe they'll they'll turn over other guys on the staff. But I think it's just... Um, you do inherit, I think, potentially very good receivers because, you know, between Moose Muhammad and Stewart, you've got, you know, really good young receivers. And everything I've heard about about Wegman, the freshman quarterback, has been really positive, not just about his arm, but also about like his makeup and everything. So there's, you know, you can hit it. It's just I think guys are going to want to go in going, all right, do I really feel comfortable working for Jimbo in this capacity? I don't see Jimbo pivoting all the way from you know, whatever you want to call his pro style offense to air raid. Like that's, that's pretty radical. I see it. He's going to have to kind of do what Jim Harbaugh did when he decided to modernize his offense. And he brought in Josh Gaddis and it was an adjustment. Like that first year they were, they were, what was the game? Was it an army game where they just couldn't stop fumbling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, it was hard to watch. Um, but it eventually took hold and it was a good way to kind of blend those two styles. And so I would think he's going to be looking to do something like that. I don't have a name for you. Um, I, I will say that uh, when I saw this, I'm like, you know what? You remember the year that, that Graham Harrell was like every school in America wanted him to be their offensive coordinator. Um, that's Garrett Riley this year, isn't it? He, I just yeah, feel like he, with, with, if you're Garrett Riley, you uh, like Sonny is a really good guy to work for I, from everything I've heard. And if you're Garrett Riley, you're in, at a good school where you can, you know, you're built to win now and keep winning. 
um, your next stop, I don't think should be like to be somebody else's offensive coordinator. It should be keep, you know, keep developing and then get ready for it to run your own program, especially if you yeah. have a head coach who gives you a lot of freedom and also as an offensive minded guy who can help you. I think he's in a really like a really good situation. Kitley is at his alma mater where his dad's kind of a legend, you know, you know, in the athletic department. I don't think, you know, again, he, he's like you said, I'm not sure that um Jimbo's gonna want to buy into all the stuff Zach Kitley's doing, right? I don't, so, I don't think so. It's too, it's just too you have to do something like where these coaches get into trouble is like they um hand over the reins to somebody like this and then but they're so uncomfortable with it that the first time the team struggles, give me back the playbook. <laughs> We're gonna do it my way now. Yeah, I mean it's and that's a that's a bad place to be in, especially if you're coming from good situations. Look, I'm pretty sure Jake Spavtal is going to have some opportunities at some some places. I think he will be choosy on, you know, where it is. But you know, look, it would be enticing to go work with Wegman and those receivers, assuming you know none of those guys transfer out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Adam Tarot, big fan of the podcast and hopeful future sports journalist. Run while you can, Adam. I'm just kidding. Um, he's wondering why Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith hasn't been discussed more for head coaching positions in this cycle. The team has finished with a better record every year than the previous one, except for 2020. And he just finished the regular season with a rivalry win over top 10 rival Oregon. They will likely finish in the top 20. So I was curious what can be said about his candidacy for other positions. He, Yeah. I, I mean, I, he is a really good coach who is very down to earth. Um, he's a, he's a Southern California guy. Like if, if Chip Kelly left UCLA, I would think Jonathan Smith would be a guy they should, you know, it's home for him. He grew up really close to there. He's obviously done very, very well at his alma mater. Um, you know, it's the Pac-12 is interesting in this regard where it's either like, 
you know, Oregon State, you look at now it's his alma mater, but like some of these jobs, like Cal has a lot of issues, right? It's, you know, internally, you know, alignment, all that stuff. Stanford has challenges. Then you start to get at some of these other places like CU. You don't think it's a better job. Arizona State is kind of reeling. You know, Washington definitely is. Oregon definitely is. But I don't know if you're Oregon or you would you be hiring the guy from Corvallis who, who you know, was your arch rival. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean he's only a West Coast guy. But he is he is a West Coast guy through and through. I'll say this, like, you know, just from getting to know him, like he's the guy who's watching Dodger games like before he goes to sleep at night. You know, like he's I don't know. I don't I think he's a really good coach. I think he would I don't see him like as an SEC guy. I'm not and so I'm not I think he will not just take a big job to take a big job, right? I think it would have to be a really good fit in a place he wants to be. You know, I would imagine because he is a great coach. In fact, when it came down to when we were doing our picks last week, which by the way, I crushed it last week in the picks. Finally, um, I picked Oregon State because I just thought to myself, I think I just trust Jonathan Smith more than I do Dan Lanning at this point. So, um, but I think two problems: one. They play all their games at 1030 at night. So I don't think any, you know, ADs East of the Rockies ever see his teams play. And I'm sure that there's some people who just assume, well, he's never going to leave his alma mater. Right. So um, yeah, the UCLA one, that's intriguing. There's a Pac-12 school in my backyard that needs a football coach right now. I don't know if, you know, you, you leave Oregon State for Stanford necessarily. Um, but no, I kind of expect him to be there a while. I do too. I'd be happy if I, if I was a, a, a Beaver fan. He's one of he's one of our own. He's done really well. Um, I think he's just a really good football coach. I don't know how much, you know, I don't know what the ceiling is for Oregon State football. You know, it's it it feels like it's it's certainly not what what the Ducks are. Um, you know, Mike Riley had that year where they won the Fiesta. Well, actually, it was Dennis Erickson who won the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, Dennis Erickson. <laughs> I mean, it's this was pretty when I just kind of first started out, and I don't think I appreciated how unusual and rare that was that Oregon State finished like number two or three in the country that year and clobbered Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl with yeah. Chad Johnson and uh, and TJ Hushmanzada, TJ Hushmanzada, yeah, and Jonathan, and Jonathan Smith. That was a great team. Ken Simonton was the running back. Yeah, uh, Ken but Simon you know my. Stephen Jackson blur together. I forgot about Ken Simonton being before Stephen. You know, Stephen Jackson was a little later. Yeah, yeah. Mike Riley had some great players come through there. Um, they they uh, screwed things up for USC a couple times. So you know, and the ceiling the ceiling is uh, not Oregon. You're right, but it's pretty high. You're the LA guy, so I'm going to ask you this question from 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 Ryan in Redondo Beach, not far from you. Um, I moved to Los Angeles last year and I went to the UCLA UFC game last week as an interested third party, hoping to check off my pilgrimage and catch a great rivalry game. The game itself sure delivered, but afterwards I, I was surprised that neither of you had mentioned UCLA in last week's mailbag on which power five teams need a new stadium. The Rose bowl, while iconic for its namesake bowl game, leaves much to be desired for the regular season experience. As you guys mentioned, it was the highest ranked matchup for the two in over a decade and they still couldn't claim a sellout without tarping over most of the end zone seats. With UCLA's upcoming move to the Big Ten set to refill their athletic department funds, do you ever see them building a smaller stadium on or close to campus? 
that can reliably motivate fans to support them at, would they better be served playing at SoFi? I'm going to say no to that last part, but what about the campus on close part, close to campus part? It's hard for them. I don't know if they have space for any of that, you know, like, one year, and I don't remember what the reason was, they played at, and I don't know if Ryan lived here at this point, but they played, no, he didn't because I see he moved here last year, but they played at, at um, in Carson, and it used to be called the Stub Hub Center. Now it's like Dignity Health, and it's where the LA Galaxy play, and it's a great little venue, and it's fun to see a soccer game, but it's not a huge stadium, and look, the Chargers played there for a little for a minute too, it's not close to where they are, but it's a, you know, it's kind of an intimate setting. And I think that would be ideal. Like TCU has not a very big stadium. It's a nice stadium, but it's, you know, maybe it's 45,000. Now you look at some of these schools, Miami, that's what they should be doing. I think. And it's just like, but like Miami, you know, real estate is insanely hard to come by in Southern California. And but so, John I, Ruiz is swearing that he's going to build a stadium for the Miami Hurricanes on you hate John uh, on a park in in no you I don't hate him but I he makes a lot of grandiose claims and promises on Twitter and apparently he's claiming he's going to build a college football stadium. Um, I I think he might one the only thing I would say yeah like they've had some serious attendance problems there. Uh, not selling out the Rose Bowl for the UCLA USC game. I mean the, the Rose Bowl is ninety five thousand seats. Uh, that might seem like an easy thing to do in the SEC, but that's a that's a tall, tall ask. Um, you know, I think USC the other night for Notre Dame, they sold out, and a sellout for them is like seventy three thousand, something like that. That's that's a big number for a college football game in LA. Well, that's, that's also what like USC uh, UCLA ha- they said they had the sellout at seventy one thousand or seventy two thousand. He was mentioned in the tarps that took it down to 72,000, I guess. Yeah. Look, that's not, you're never going to fill a use the entire Rose bowl. Like they do for the bowl game itself for a UCLA home game. Um, but it's not anywhere near UCLA. Um, it's not a modern stadium by any means. So I get, I get what he's saying. Uh, but yeah, where would you, let's say you decide to build a 50,000 seat stadium, uh, 40, I don't know, you know, a midsize stadium, I just, I don't, I can't imagine there's the land to do that anywhere near Westwood. No, I, I don't think there, I mean, what do I know? But I, I don't think there, that's not an easy thing because it's just so expensive for the land there and everything is kind of, kind of jammed together. In the course of reporting that Stanford story, I found out this obscure thing, which is that, and I don't know if this is unique to Stanford or if other colleges have to do this, but they have an agreement with their county even though they it's their land, they own the land on the campus, they still are limited in how much they can develop it. So like, basically there's like a, it's like a, it's like your electricity meter. Like you, you get a certain number of uh, square feet and you can't go past that. So if UCLA wanted to build a stadium on their campus, I bet you they have to go through an insane amount of, of bureaucracy. Um, okay. Just one we more. Okay. This one question from Dan. Michael yeah, in Fairfax, Virginia. Guys, I love the pod. Be the show that actually sheds light on this. Caleb Williams, 3,712 yards, 34 TDs and three INTs, plus 351 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns. Michael Penix Jr., 4,354 yards. That's a that's over 600 yards more. 
29 touchdowns. That's five touchdown passes less. Seven interceptions. That's four more. And probably about a little less than 300 yards rushing and six TDs less. So he doesn't quite have the rushing numbers, but his passing numbers match up reasonably well to Caleb's. He's also not on a bad team, by the way, as I, and I'll, I'll continue what Daniel says. I'm not saying Penix should win, but how is he not in the conversation? Washington was four and eight last year, and I promise they wouldn't have been anywhere close to 10 and two without Penix this year. He should be in New York, and no one even mentions him. Look at the numbers compared to anyone. He's right. I mean, it's a, it's a really yeah. weird thing. He's never, just all season long, he's never really gained traction. And you can't say he's not a well-known name. He definitely is. I think the problem was they had two really bad losses in the middle of the season, and he performed poorly in, in both of them. The, the UCLA loss, I think that was on a Friday night, and uh, Arizona State, which uh, Boo Corrigan has not forgiven them for. Um, so I think he just kind of like, Nobody was thinking of him as a Heisman candidate after that. Now, he's made a heck of a final push, uh, starting with the Oregon game. But as I've said many times, I just think in this, with all the emphasis, like we've started every podcast, right, for the last four weeks talking about these playoff rankings. The entire focus of the sport is on the playoff. It's very hard to win the Heisman not being on a playoff contending team. And they just haven't been in that mix. They may well go to the Rose Bowl. Um but it was all, it seems to me the Heisman is always going to go to somebody on one of those four teams. Um, and Caleb Williams is in position to do that. The Can one I'm more puzzled by is Max Duggan. Why does nobody, they named the finalists for a lot of the, uh, you know, the awards they give out on that ESPN He's a show. O'Brien finalist. Yes. But what about the Maxwell award for most outstanding player in the country? Who CJ Stroud's one of the three. Uh, and, and uh, uh, Duggan is not. So let me ask you this. I don't want to tell, I feel like we're cheating when I say this, but um, you're not supposed to reveal your ballot, but neither one of us has voted yet. If I said to you, rank the top five candidates right now, who would yours be? Um, well, I know who my top three are because of who I submitted to our um, Heisman straw poll this week. And that was, um, that was Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and I went Bryce Young, number three. I still think Bryce Young is one of the most outstanding players in college football. I would then put Penix four. I'd have to think about five per second. So go ahead. Um, Caleb was my clear one. I am still riding Hendon Hooker in this thing. I know he's mm -hmm. injured, but just what I think he's meant to the program. Uh, my number three this week is Deuce Vaughn. It was almost like a just a, a uh, appreciation. He's great. He's great. He's yeah. another guy. Nobody ever talks about. He's great. I would have Duggan four and I would have Penix five. What do you do with Blake Corum? He's had a phenomenal season, but he unfortunately had, couldn't really play in the, in the biggest game of the season. Yeah. I mean, he, he played, he played probably like 10 snaps. I'm guessing. Um, yeah. You know, he is, he is, he's very deserving to get there. I think. You know, his numbers are not – they're really good. They're not great numbers relative to, you know, if you're going to win the Heisman. I mean, the problem he has is you got Chase Brown, who's in the same competition, who is rushing for more yards, and, and Mo Ibrahim, who's, who missed a game and has even bigger numbers. You know, it's just like the Big Ten 
I think there's somebody else I'm forgetting too in the Big Ten who's put up pretty good rushing numbers. Oh, it's yeah, um, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim. No, I said I just said him. Um, the other one I'm I was forgetting is is Braylon Allen's like over 1,100 yards too. But okay. it's like you see a bunch of guys in there. So it's Chase Brown over 1,600 yards, uh, Ibrahim almost 1,600, and then you go down to. Uh, to quorum 1463 i mean it's just those are really good really good numbers but i don't you know i think it's hard to i don't know it's hard to do, i think it's hard for a running back right now to win unless you just have absolutely insane numbers or you're on the national title team i think you have to do more than be a running back at this point you have to be christian mccaffrey um and those don't come around very often and he didn't um, win it. and he and even he didn't win it um uh, I'm going to rearrange mine a little bit after hearing you and after thinking about it a little bit more. Um, I would move uh, Hen and Hooker. I'm with you, you know, appreciation award up to three. And then I would push uh, Bryce Young to four and have Michael Penix five. Um, no, I think that's all reasonable. So, Daniel, we appreciate the question. It's a good, it's a good talking point. Um, you know, he's definitely got some wow skills in his arm, no doubt. I mean, you see the, some of the throws he's made this year have been just, um, just fantastic. So, one thing I will just add is that I don't those Heisman. I mean, no offense, Matt Fortuna. I don't put a whole lot of thought into the uh, to the weekly Heisman straw poll before I send that email. But before I cast the real ballot on Monday. I mean, I sit down and go through all of the uh, uh, possible candidates and which games they were they did well in, which games they didn't, and so on and so forth. So I do take that that thing pretty seriously. And then I can't tell you who is in it. So unfortunately, we, we'd have to wait until after the uh, ceremony. And at that point, I don't know how much people care. I, I think people just like, okay, that's who won? Great. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that's just how it is now. But... Moving along, so we got championship games this week to to watch. Um, we haven't really talked. I think about we're it. both going to the same championship game. Are but you going for to Vegas? Reasons. Yes, I'm going to Vegas uh, to cover the game, and you are going to Vegas to Just watch go to the, the game for fun. Yeah. Go to play, uh, yeah. Go yeah. to the casino. I think that USC. I don't really see. I don't really understand why people think Utah is a great team this year. Uh, now that I said that, they'll upset USC, but I'm kind of expecting USC to roll. What about you? I am expecting them to roll as well. You just think I, they're, I, yeah, they've caught fire at the right time. Yeah, I, th I think this is a chance to avenge that defeat. I thought, you know, it was a great game and it was a great, you know, really, really tremendous game. You know, like when you're the other quarterback and you can, I don't know if he upstage Caleb, but he kind of did. <laughs> um, I just, I feel like USC's, USC's defense is starting to, to play a little better. It's not just getting turnovers. Like they actually have done some decent things in addition to that. So I don't know. I mean, I think USC is going to flex its muscle and, and light up Utah this time around. We shall see. We will reconvene on Sunday after the playoff field and is set. So as always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.